2: the story one day my life completely changed I raced home and my mother was or oh, she was dead on the floor she'd been electrocuted by a little Hoover washing machine and then from that moment on you know I was broken-hearted and so I just bottled it up
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, a fair dinkum story from Ian Watson, founder of a nationwide men's ministry known as Shed Night. Ian, better known as Watto, says that when he was growing up, events in his life caused him to put rocks around his heart. We'll find out how God's love eventually broke through today on The Story. Watto is chatting
2: with Karen Hunt.
1: So, hey, Watto, where'd you come from?
2: mourn at the Sunnyside Hospital in Wollomba, just into New South Wales. And um, I didn't spend very much time in New South Wales. My mother and father, for a short time, they looked after the ferry that went across the Tweed River at Tumbulgum, but then we moved up into Deegan, and I sort of lived around northern suburbs of Brisbane from then on. When I follow the state of origin football, I never say I'm a cockroach Uh in New South Wales. I've always lived my whole life in in Queensland, so I... I I say I'm a Queenslander.
1: So your whole life is as long as you remember.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I was a really little tacker when I (laughs) left New South Wales.
1: So what was family life like for you?
2: Well, uh, I was the second born. My oldest sister's two years older than me, and then I have two sisters younger than me. And so I was the only son and my father worked very hard, he was a good man, he had three jobs there at different times, he was a panel beater and my mother was a beautiful woman, she was a lovey-dovey type woman uh, with a personality that was just so lovable and we had a great family life. I was surrounded by mainly my mother's uh, aunties and my grandma just up the road and it all changed when we went to Mount Isa chasing the elusive dollar but we didn't have fly in and fly out then we got in this little car little Austin A40 put a trailer on it and we took off to Mount Isa and my dad he was a foreman of a big Holden dealership up there ah. and i went to school there and we bought a house in Mount Isa and we had two fantastic years because i was really i was always a good sportsman and then one day My life completely changed for me. I raced home on a holiday for a smoko when the whistle blew at 10 o'clock from my little school job and my mother was, or she was dead on the floor. She'd been electrocuted by a little Hoover washing machine and she couldn't let go of it and no one was around to turn the power off and it was going through her body for about 20 minutes when I got home she was blue and I was frantic and I raced back over to my dad and he he knew something was wrong and he sort of gave me a slap up and and then from that moment on you know I was broken hearted because my mum you know I kissed her every every time she was a kissy person and every time you went somewhere my mother gave me a kiss and like she'd tell me how she loved me and I've carried that on. And then that sort of finished the Mount Isa thing. We went back to my dad in the few days following that. He just packed us up and took us back into the comforts of our grandmas and aunties and that and sort of started that next part of my life. But I never finished that part of my life because I never really got around to say hooray to my mates and all the really wonderful things I had in Mount Isa. Ian, so. how um, old were you at this time? Fifteen. Really? Fifteen. And, you know... <laughs> Talk about post-traumatic stress and all that junk wasn't even a word then. But, you know, I know I'm an emotional bloke at the best of times. My personality is big, in your face, um, big opinion, all that sort of stuff. That was hard growing up with that personality because my dad was pretty stoic and he, he thought that I was, should be seen and not heard and he should sort of um, tell me that I was showing off. I was this guy that was a lair and all those sorts of things to try and quiet me down. But you know me today, I'm still the same sort of personality, that doesn't change. And then when I had the grief of my mother, I was an absolute mess, but no one, in those days, no one knew what to do with the boy. They were all worried about my dad because, you know, it was tragic for him. And so I just bottled it up and went in, and I suppose my passion... Towards men today, and especially my book, get to the heart of of who you are. Uh, probably goes right back to that time when my heart was just smashed up, and then uh, some good, some really good things happen, even amongst the bad things.
1: So, how did you fare amidst your sisters? So, you're the second child, three sisters. Yeah. How did you cope all together? And you, as the only
2: boy. Oh, <laughs> I was always. Poor me, woe is me. The girls are always picking on me. No one listens to me. All that sort of stuff. And, you know, when I didn't have my mother around, I was a sook. I was a fair to sook because I went for my mother's nurture love and she smothered me with a... I loved it and you know my older sister, she used to have to hold my hand mm-hmm. and, and I was even too shy to get on the little lambretto scooter that the photographer had to get my, you know, he got those photos taken at sure. school. Yeah. Well, I, I was too scared to even sit on it and the motor wasn't even running and then like I'm fighting, I had this bloke who used to pick on me all the time and my older sister, she she actually fought a, fought a fight for me one day. So, you know, one of the chapters in my book is about the soft nurture love and the directional tough love. (laughs) I did the journey on that one too. But my sisters, when I got to be about 24, I got married when I was 21 to Margaret. Um, My younger sister, Rhonda, was 17. And she was skating on the skate rink down around Palm Beach at the time. Mm -hmm. And would you believe she collapsed and died with a smile on her face? Your sister. And I've got her. Yeah, I've got a photo. I've got this photo of Rhonda with her hands up, with this most beautiful, peaceful smile on her face, almost to say, it's okay. I'm going to a better place. And it'll blow your brains apart when you see the photo.
1: So this is your sister, Rhonda.
2: This is my younger sister, Rhonda. And
1: how old were you at this time?
2: Uh, Just in my early 20s. So, um, you know, I couldn't get out of the car and go into the church for the funeral they virtually had to carry me and walk me, you know, like a drunken man into the church to sit down because my heart was just so smashed with grief.
1: So this is like and six or seven years later after your mum died. Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, and I get, I, so I get smashed up. So, so, And, you know, I grew up thinking, you know, you have to just get on with it and get over it mm-hmm. and toughen up and all that sort of stuff. So in the year when we came back from Mount Isa, I went to Sandgate High, which was just in the two streets over, and uh, I did my junior year. Now I was pretty good at school, and I really wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to be a phys ed teacher because I was you? a sporting nut. Mm-hmm. Well, I sat in that class, and I used to sit up the front seat, sort of beside where the teacher stands, and the yeah. blackboard's behind the teacher. Yeah. And I used to sit right up beside the teacher so nobody could see me, and I used to just put my hands up beside my head as though I was just resting my head. But most of the year, I reckon I was crying and I, mm. without tears because I was just so sad. Mm. Yeah, so I don't want you to feel sorry for me, but that's me.
1: Ian, did you have
2: the support
1: of your dad? Did you have any support at yeah, all at that time yeah, besides yeah, your other sisters?
2: Yeah, everyone's around you. But if you don't deal with the actual, you know, what's going on deep down in your heart thing, you know, your mind tries to blank out the pain that's deep down inside you. And so it's very easy for me to be alongside men today and see them refuse to go into their hearts and they think. Oh, she'll be right. I'll sort it out. And I go, no, 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 your head is going to blow up because down in your heart, mm. that's where it all starts. Mm. So, but anyway, look, I had a loving family and my two sisters today, they tell me I'm the best brother they could ever wish for. I'm their only brother, by the way, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, and then in that early part, I was in the Cubs, um, and I had to make a big choice decision to, leave it and play football and I started in the under-12s and I played AFL all my life. We are always up in the finals, played up in the A grade and played in two premierships and played for Queensland and just absolutely loved football. And Margaret put up with coming to the games from when she was about 17. She was in the cheer squad. To this day, Karen, football is not her first choice at all, I can tell you.
1: I can concur with that. Shh. (laughs) Tell me, though, your dad in the scenario. Was your dad in his own world of trying to cope? Was he able to be uh, a, a dad to the son of the family?
2: He always did his best. Yeah. You know, I learned things about my dad only when I got older and really asked God about things to sort of really get the honesty of deep down in me about my book. And my dad gave this pretty hard sort of. Toughen up type thing. And I used to think that he was invincible. Mm-hmm. I never thought he had a flaw as far as weakness. You know, that's just the way it was. He wasn't a Skype. He was, he was just a good, hardworking man. And he wasn't a noisy bloke like me. But you know, there was a crucial moment way down in my life when I got to make a call to leave the 22 year old career in the security of the Queensland state government. And I, I said to my dad, I was going to buy a truck, and I thought, he's going to give it to me when I say that. You know, he'll tell me, what are you doing that for and all that. But he said, you know, he said, I could have bought it truck when I was 19. And I went, oh, what happened? And he said, well, I worked for the market gardener down at uh, Camden, just out west of Sydney. And he said, the bloke who owned it wanted him to buy a truck to run the produce into the Sydney market. And I said to my dad, well, what happened? And he said, I didn't have the guts. And here's my dad in his seventy, early 70s, telling me, making this admission from his heart, that he didn't have the guts. And, you know, that was the only time in my whole life I ever heard, like, a faint trace of sort of a kink of weakness, what, you know, you think man had to be. And, you know, I remember driving... I'm talking to, talking to God in the car saying, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for that because it was like a bell went off inside me. It was almost like the, God had finally got through to me to push the freedom button to free me up from fear of failure because what I, what I couldn't really leave that security of that um, that government job was that I had a fear of failure that I might appear a failure in front of other people like a performance thing because just about everything I did in my life, I was successful at, and I knew, like, if I was going to play football, I'd say, no, yeah, I'm better on this bike today, I'll, I'm going to be the best, or if I was going to do something, I I only ever took on things that I knew I could do anyway, so I never really stepped out into the unknown, and you know, I never sort of got to the point where you trust God and just step out.
1: You were safe. I
2: was safe, and so my my dad gave me that moment of freedom. And then, like, we've got three boys, three wonderful boys, and they're growing men and they're fathers now and husbands. And in that time of my life as a dad, individually, I went to my sons and I said, "Look, I just found out something about myself today." I said, "I I found out that uh, my fear of failure in front of others, and I just want to know how has that affected you in your life, and I want you to have a real good think about it. I want you to have a good talk to God about it." Because if, if you've taken on any of that fear of failure in front of other people, I would like you to uh, be free of it from today and I'd like you to um, be able to get on with your life and make your choices. and. And not be held back because of something that uh, you don't even realize that you can pass on to your children. You do want them to have all the good stuff. Mm. Uh, you don't want them to have any of the weaknesses. But uh, it's good that we've got a God who, uh, through his son, gives us the freedom to get these things sorted out and get on with life. Mm. So that was another moment for me as a dad.
1: I was just thinking, Ian, you mentioned, you know, you're the boy with the three sisters, and here you are as the man, as a dad, to three sons.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. God's got a purpose in everything, hey?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, Margaret and I had a wonderful life with three sons, and, you know, the boys were great. We used to have, we'd always have deep and meaningfuls every time. And we'd sat around a round table. We, we always had a round table. There's something more friendly about your table if it's around in the kitchen. You <laughs> sort of actually, um, we didn't plan it. You know, one of our sons, he'd say, oh, nobody ever listens to me. And we go, come on, Luke. And we're all waiting. Tell us what happened in your day. And we'd all make an effort to listen. We'd never ever eaten with the television on. We've always connected. So for doing shed like we do now, where you, you spill your guts. Uh, the o Boys, we've always been open. And um, I'd like to think that my boys have learnt to love and respect their wives through watching me love and respect their mother.
0: You're listening to The Story, and today we're hearing Ian Watto-Watson share his journey and how he became the founder of a nationwide men's ministry known as Shed Night. Next, Watto tells how men throughout Australia are getting together and becoming the real deal blokes who God created them to be. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. This is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Ian Watson, better known as Watto, founder of Shed Night. Next, Watto shares how Aussie men are supporting each other and becoming champion
2: sons of the King of Kings. You know, Karen... Today, everywhere I go in this country, when men were easy to minister to, we don't want money, we just want one-on-one time. In the shed, there's a part of every man that's got an amazing story that needs to be told so other men and boys can learn and hear, and then they hear how almighty our God is and how freeing He is and how loving He is. The world we live in doesn't teach us how to trust, it doesn't teach us how to love, doesn't teach us how to to love and respect and have our families go. So Shed, you don't even have to join Shed. You know, there's no membership. You know, if you turn up, you turn up. If you cook, you cook. If you and that's how blokes need to feel. And whether you're a doctor, or a dentist, or a, a gynecologist, or a truck driver, or whatever, it doesn't matter that you're okay. And you only get that identity when you know that you're a champion son of the king. Mm-hmm. Because once a man's healed in his heart, he can't go back He's got to go out and stand beside another man Mm -hmm. and do life for him Mm -hmm. and and help him along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus, see, that bloke Jesus, he went after the lost bloke. You know, he went after the one lost. And that's, you will hear amazing stories, not always public, because usually Aussie blokes don't want to get up and make a noise about it. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to start a movement. We're not interested. I don't want anyone to ever say it's a man's church or anything like that. It's just an opportunity for men to get together in a non-alcoholic zone because when a man wants to talk deep, we don't want other men to think, "Oh, he's only talking because he's influenced by alcohol." You know, so yeah. I think provided our agenda is such that we give glory to God and get out of His road and let Him uh, just let Him show us His hand. And the other thing for men, we're learning how not to judge and we're even learning how not to judge in our minds. We're learning to just shut up and listen longer and there's a good reason why everyone's in pain or we say what we do and we're learning how to just be more accepting.
1: So Ian, someone might be listening right now who has no clue about the acceptance and love that's offered through Shed Happens and and your Shed Nights, where can people go to to find more information and to even connect with you and consider what might be in their area, in their part of Australia?
2: Karen, we've got a website, ShedNight.com, www.shednight.com, created by my son when he was working over in China. Uh Uh, He's got a master's in IT. But a lot of blokes read it. Uh, Blake's generally a port where not a lot of us want to read Not a lot of us want to put blogs But that's got an area there that tells us where some shed nights are on Gives us an opportunity to interact If Blake's don't want to go to a shed night My book, whato.com uh, That's a place too that gives you a little bit of an insight into shed Every week I get requests to come and help uh Establish sheds in different area of Australia, uh, and there's, there's just blokes all over. It's just so good. Fortunately, my wife. Margaret, she is right with me. Uh, I wouldn't be worth two bob without her. She's just, <laughs> she's the greatest part of my life. I, oh. I'm so grateful. Met her when, when she was 15 and a half and I was 16 and a half. We've been married 47 years. Oh, wow. Congrats. And uh, every day I thank God for her. And she helps me in, in the men's stuff. God gives her great ideas that uh, I, I just put forward to the men and they work. I feel sorry for the blokes who haven't had that opportunity to have a there and can love relationship the way God wants a man and a woman in marriage. And that's my wish. I, I don't want to see any broken-hearted people that choose to want to love God's way and not to have to go and do their life in old age on their own when um, God's love is just so immense. And that comes through both our hearts and our spirits for yeah. each other.
1: Both together, you and Margaret, your hearts are huge. Love oozes <laughs> from you. It, it really does, and I'm amazed even at just how word of mouth has probably been your biggest promotional tool, hasn't it, for growing the different sheds yeah. around the place. Well,
2: you know, Karen, I'm a natural salesman. That's just within me and my personality. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> my personality, I went and did one of those uh, uh, those standardised sort of things. I sat in this room with all these blokes and we ticked all these boxes, and then at the end they said, I'll oh, put your hand up if you you're in this box yeah and I was the only bloke in the room of oh, I don't know a lot of blokes and that was described as an entertainer that's how they saw my personality and I thought oh. entertainer oh. You know, I don't even realize that, but everywhere I go, if there are people around me, I just naturally want them to be enjoying every minute of what they're doing.
1: Yeah, you're people And I don't,
2: person. I don't even feel within me that I pay a price to do that. I just feel like this is me. Yeah. Margaret's helped me a lot with this personality thing. Everyone's okay. It's just that we need to know our characteristics and then we can be more accepting of each other. There are plenty of people that oh, would probably get tired to even get near me, but probably Mar- <laughs> oh, Margaret sends me to the footy every so often just to get a bit of peace. Um, we we appreciate each other for our differences. We don't try and make people be like us. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of people that I come across that are trying to be something and they don't have to. Just I, I think my prayer is every day, Lord, whatever you've got to do to my heart, can you do a job on me so... I can be your real deal bloke. I got three sons and and grandchildren and that, and I don't want to put on acts for any of them. I would like to think that what comes through me, the love through me to each one of them, they all feel special. And they don't think, oh, he likes someone more than me, and all that sort of junk. But when you're growing up as a man, Oh, I think you try so hard to get it right all the time and you can always bust your brains trying and you can still still muck it up because you never know till it's too late. Well, you know, down the track, you don't know whether you did a good job or not and then the only thing you can do is go back and say you're sorry, you know? Yeah.
1: Probably, I think, Ian, the best word that describes you in my mind at the moment is passionate. You are a passionate man. You are passionately committed to your family, to the world around you. You're passionately committed to building up other people and building communities of, of blokes, of men, and building communities of mature Christians. You know, the, the people well, that you've mentored and brought into a new reality of life is astounding.
2: Karen, the women have held the banner. And they put up with so much. All my life I've watched good women put up with so much from we men at times when I think... Come on, all we have to do is be open and get real. Now, you talk about my passion. There was a time in my life I was driven, and driven with passion is not a nice place. And I was driven not to be like my dad in my early days. I'm not gonna be like my father. So everything you do was driven and driving people stupid that way. Once I heard that God showed me that I had to hand over that drivenness to the cross and be freed by the blood of Jesus, All my giftings, all my natural me, I just said, Lord, I want to give you all these things back. I want to give you everything back. And if you want me to be out the front making a noise and doing that, (laughs) you're going to have to give them back to me and I'll, I'll give it my best shot. So, yeah, my passion now is my passion because I had to die to that awful thing called drivenness.
1: How do you deal with that now?
2: I'm not driven. I'm not a driven person now because I'm very conscious. I can tell you that with Margaret, we talk about lots of things. Uh, we talk about every trip that is in front of me, every time someone rings me up, talk to her about it. I don't know any other way than to give everything I've got, no matter what I do. Whether I'm teaching someone in the truck for an hour, if I stand up in front of men to speak, whether it's one or a hundred or a thousand, my thing is, is God's given me these gifts and ability. I give it everything I've got because if He calls me home right now and I stand there with Him, oh, 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 I just would love you to say, good on you, boy. Yeah. You gave it all you had. Yeah. I don't want to have an excuse in saying, Lord, I wish I had done that. Or I wish I had tried hard. I wish I had a, I wish, I, I don't want to do that. I just want to be real and just want to go for it.
1: Well, you're definitely an agent from God. <laughs> He is going to be standing there waiting when the time comes with arms wide open saying, Come, well done, good and faithful servant, Ian Watto-Watson. God bless you and your book is such an encouragement. It's also available as an audio book. It's entitled Every Bloke's a Champion, Even You. It's by Ian Watto-Watson. and uh, Thanks so much for your time. God bless in all that you're doing and we look forward to chatting again real soon.
2: Thanks, Karen. God bless.
1: Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: That was Karen Hunt chatting with Ian Watto-Watson, founder of Shed Night. And as you just heard, Watto has a way of sharing profound spiritual truths in a real down-to-earth style that the average Aussie bloke can understand. Good on you, mate. To find out more about his ministry and books, the website is shednight.com. That's shednight.com. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We have sold our house, we have quit our jobs and we're about to travel to three continents, 16 countries, 30 cities and villages on basically a journey of togetherness and learning. Julia and Andrew McGregor, along with their children, are setting off on a quest to become closer as a family and closer to God through travelling the world. We'll find out what inspired this unorthodox adventure next time. The The Story...